Welcome to Dogs of Warcry. Dogs of Warcry is a podcast from the Mortal Realms focusing on Warcry, a fast-paced cinematic skirmish game by Games Workshop. You can expect discussions on gameplay, rules, lore, painting, terrain, campaigns, and events. For Season 4, Episode 3 of Dogs of Warcry, we're having a collaboration discussion with Aaron at the Mortal Realms in the Story Phase section. We're going to be discussing the lore of the Red Harvest, and we'll discuss some of the thoughts and opinions we have on the book and the content within. And David and I will also follow up with some answers for your Red Harvest questions that we save for the next time. We hope you enjoy the content. Thank you. Welcome to the Mortal Realms and Age of Sigmar story phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the Varanite Delves this episode are... Josh. Yes, I am here to delve into the Red Harvest lore and excavate the secrets buried within. Hey, uh, and it's Paven. Nice. Uh, and I'm Aaron. And Varanite, you are the best thing that's ever been mined. And in this episode, we cover the lore of Red Harvest. Uh, whether you've got eight legs or two, the Varanite Delve of Krath, Krath, probably Krath. Krath calls to all. And we're here to harvest whatever lore we can from the newest expansion of Warcry. How are you tonight, fellow aspirants? How are you guys doing? Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, really good. Really excited to record. Aaron, it's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a bit. Uh, I think last time... So I know Josh was on the the orc episode, which he made it a point to pick the episode that I wasn't on. I understand. I get it, man. No judgment. But then I think Paven, you haven't been around since the one of the, some of the Broken Realm stuff, which yeah, a whole edition ago, which uh, were essentially our best episodes, <laughs> our best, our most listened to episodes of all time. And I can't tell if it's people wanted more Broken Realms or people wanted more Paven. I, I can't tell. I need to put out a... People like Paven. He's got yeah. a lot of energy. He's got a lot of energy. Um, I'm going to have to put out a survey after the fact to see what, what, what who, who, what's more important. Broken Realms? Paven. We'll find out. Um, <laughs> but here we are today doing a fun little joint episode between uh, the story phase and Dogs of War Cry. Um, what's the point of being on the same network if you can't cross-pollinate, if you can't cross over? Um, exactly. Yeah, so I'm all... Yeah, I love it. Can't get enough of it. So um, it's a regular old team up. <laughs> uh, it's it's like your your favorite Marvel tie-in. Yeah, it's like the, <laughs> it's like the thing and Wolverine back together again. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, man! I can't wait to see that in the MCU. I feel like any day now it's about to, about to happen. But we're not here to talk about Marvel. We're here to talk about um, Red Harvest, which is the newest expansion of Warcry, um, which we're excited to get our little hands on. And uh, furthermore, it, it wouldn't be a, a narrative game if there wasn't some tasty narrative hooks, um, a bit of lore packed into this book that we wanted to talk about to you fine listeners. And so that's what we're going to do today. Um, but before we do, uh, we always ask, what has everybody been up to? So let's let's get through that real quick. Um, Josh, in the hobby, what have you been doing lately? Uh, lately, I've been assembling my Darko Savagers for Warcry for our Circle of Paint Challenge and got them all together, got them based today. And uh, then I'll need to do some priming and start working on some color schemes. Awesome. Have you done any Dark Oath stuff before? Will this be the first Dark Oath? 
I've had a Slaves of Darkness Warbrand, but um, I didn't paint up any of them yet. So, so this would be the first time I'm playing with these particular models and painting them. Oh, very cool. Very neat. Uh, and Paven, what you've been doing? I have been, uh, like Josh, working on the other half of the Red Harvest box set, the Tyrantulus Blue Rood. Uh, if I am pronouncing it correctly. Uh, yeah, so I have all 10 of those guys assembled. I'm going to try to, uh, you know, in my hubris, I'm going to try to batch paint all 10 out at the same time. And I'm through the skin, I'm through the spider silk, and now I'm just kind of working on different uh, leathers and robes and spider bits. Nice, nice. I'm all, in addition, I am working on a brand new um, Blazing Lord kitbash for my Signs of the Flame Warband because uh, my last Blazing Lord was assassinated uh, through treachery and violence. Thank you. Thank you very much. And so did you have to just smash it and like, you got, that's why I need yeah. a new one? <laughs> yeah, when my miniatures die in the game, they die in real life. Yeah, that's, that's how it works. It's like the <laughs> Matrix. <laughs> very cool um how about you aaron how, what, what have you been up to um hey josh i'm glad you asked what i've been working on i've been assembling the uh what are they called storm drake guard models and Ooh, yes so uh these dudes have been uh have been i'm trying to think have, have been the apple of my eye ever since the stormcast book came out i think hands down my favorite uh new models new kits that have come out with this new 3.0 range the thunderstrike uh version of stormcast and uh so very very fortunate that gw had sent us a, a handful of things and i was lucked out in getting my hands on these uh storm drake guard and they're uh tons of fun i've assembled one of them already uh it, it's just it's just a really cool really cool model in fact don't quote me on this, but I may even paint them. Well, I know. Wrap your mind around that. Um, take pictures. Yeah, I, they have such a good Dragonlance vi- vibe to them. Yes. I, am, uh, I might be picking up some myself. What's worse is I didn't, <laughs> I've been asking around and everybody says swords are better. So I didn't put lances on them. Even though yeah, the lances look. I, I had the, I had a queued up uh, uh, a, a book cover of the legend of Huma in that discord chat. And I'm like, yes. oh, it's been too long and it's kind of a non sequitur. No, I'm doing like, anyways. You gotta put the dragon, the dragons with uh, the guys with lances on the dragons because dragon lance. Yeah, they look so cool. The lances definitely look better. Hands down, no question. But like, I don't know for for whatever reason, I got hung up on the on the swords, and here we are. And I already glued, I already glued the one. Well, I don't know how to, Josh. I don't know how to do that. Okay, so. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll just have to buy a second box. The lenses look awesome. Um, Aaron, you're just too competitive. You're just trying to get those up. <laughs> no, it's because I know, I know, you know, six years from now when I, like, maybe ever put them on a table, uh, I'll look back and I'll curse um, younger, six years younger Aaron uh, for making the 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 aesthetics choice. Um, yeah. this, this is way off topic, but, like, I've, in my experience, like um, – like I always build whatever is cooler or I try to because by the time I play with it, it's usually flopped to be the like whatever was the best is usually flopped by then. That's a good uh, point. So too. Like, you know, usually you just, you, you know, as a, um, you know, always do the one you like think looks the coolest because that's what happened on the Maw Crusher. I built like the cooler one and then that was the better one and then it was the worst one for an edition and now it's the better one again. And I'm just like, well. Now I not want to know what is what is the good and the bad for the mock. This is far afield, but what is the good one and the bad one for the mock yeah, crusher? Mock crusher has two builds. One is like sword and punch and fist, which is the one I uh, uh, like, and the other is spear and knife. 
and I built Sword and Punch and Fist, and I think that was better in first edition uh, Age of Sigmar, and then uh, the spear was better in second edition, and now with the new book, the sword is better again because it can <laughs> nice. make an armor save. Um, I'm looking at mine. It's literally within arm's reach. I can touch it if I want to, but I did spear and knife. But then I also have a gorge. If you think that one looks the coolest, then it's the right choice. I think I might have. I think that's why I picked it. But then I also have, I'm going back and forth. This is going to be terrible audio. But then I also have a Gordrak, who also looks super cool. So You have two Maw Crushers? I do have two Maw Crushers. My goal was to, at the time to get one of every uh, Iron Jaw model before I tapped into whatever my current obsession is. Um, so, yes, uh, two Maw Crushers sitting right there. Staring at me, saying "Paint me." Well, no, probably not. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably burn. That's how they sound. Um, but that is me in a nutshell, uh, guys. How about we hop into our story phase, if you don't mind? Sounds great. All right, I'll take the place of Paul real quick, and I'll say the story phase. In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the nine realms. Uh, and it's a good thing that we wrote nine realms because, in that this case, we are hanging out in. I guess what some would call the ninth realm, the eight points um, where almost everything in Warcry takes place. Uh, and we're going to be chatting about this red harvest. Um, trying to think the best place to dive in. I suppose let's do, let's, let's catch everybody up. I, I don't know the last time you guys talked about it. unlike dogs of Warcry, or if, if we ever did on a story phase, but um, where are we at in terms of, you know, what's going on in the eight points? What's the story thus far here? Um, so that we make sure that everybody's on the same page before we, we, we talk about what's in this, what's in this box. Anybody have any things that uh, we're chatting about? Oh, oh boy. Um, all right, here, here, I have a suggestion for the group. I think we should tackle this in two phases. One, Tell me. what talk about the eight points as a setting mm-hmm. and two zoom in on uh, where we like the area of the eight points we care about for Warcry, which is the Bloodwind spoil. How does that sound? I love it. Okay, great. I'll I'll kick us off. I want to talk about how, where are we today. What is the what is the eight points? So to recap, what the eight points was, the eight points was the all points, which was almost a utopian paradise during the Age of Myth, where a bunch of different cultures got together from all the realms because it was a nexus point of trade and culture and art between all of the other uh, mortal realms because there were big, stable gates going everywhere. And um, so a giant, huge civilization uh, flourished there. Um, You know, it's not, we used to think it was like a kind of a small island sub-realm, but it's continent-wide. It is huge. Um, And so this was the seat, I believe the seat of Sigmar's power. Maybe not, maybe not. Maybe that was still Azir, but it was like an incredibly important strategic and cultural asset to the old uh, order civilization. Well, uh, Age of Chaos happens, Archaon uh, comes in, wins practically, and he captures the eight points and he corrupts it, and then he bases his seat of power there. And the eight points becomes, oh, excuse me, uh, the what is the all points becomes the eight points the eight, for the eight-pointed star of chaos, and it becomes like kind of a hell on earth um, where the 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 skin of the realm is thin, and like there's demons and uh, horrible beasts, and men are devolved into you know murderers, and um, they also everybody scratches out a living under the kind of tyrannical but absent rule of Archaon. So that that's that's kind of where it is at the beginning of the Age of Sigmar. Cool things that have happened since then, since chaos, uh, complete domination. One is the invasion of the Osiarch Bone Reapers in the in the uh, 
Forces of Death that took place in the Wrath of the Everchosen book. Um, that is where Catacros, the undefeated, uh, marches into the eight points and tries to take go as far as taking the Varen Spire. Archeon show, uh, shows back up and beats Catacros uh, back, uh, but does not kill him or kills one of his body, one of his many bodies. Uh, but Death and Nagash remain in control of the Arc Terminus, which is, is that the fort or the realm gate? It's probably, I think it's the fort. I think it's the it's fort the around the realm gate. Yeah. yeah the yep. fort around yep. the realm gate in the eight points. So death now has a foothold in the eight points. Also, um, at the end of kind of the last age, at the end of the Soul Wars, uh, Marathi and a storm host of uh, Stormcast Eternals invade this part of the era eight point specifically the bloodwind spoil and steal a host of Varanite out from under Archeon. Uh, the Stormcast want to do this because he was going to use Varanite to corrupt the realm gate leading to Azir that had been previously shut and use that corruption to force its way open and invade uh, Azir, the realm of heavens. Um, well, the, the Marathi Stormcast strike force is successful. They steal the Varanite. Marathi steals it for her own uh, purposes and transforms into a god. Uh, but so that happened. It is important. And the other thing that happens in the Era of the Beasts, so the era we're currently in, is Gordrak invades the Eight Points. We don't know a lot about it, but we know he has conquered the, I don't know, that big worm that has a, uh, that has a realm gate in it, the Maw Gate. Uh, right. He captures the Maw Gate in Gur. And then uh, leads a force through it to also, uh, you know, kind of invade Archeon's domain. So we have all of the major factions uh, uh, present in the eight points now. So I think what was kind of before a, I don't know, a, a chaos on chaos scrum has now become much more multidimensional and interesting. Um, so I think that is like the backdrop of what is going on in the eight points. Oh, one more thing I want to point out is... Bellacor has kind of turned his cold rebellion against Archaon into something a little bit more hot. Um, so you'll see Bellacor kind of uh, taking uh, taking out parts of um, Archaon's forces and leading small rebellions and taking territory for them. I don't know if that actually happens in the eight points or that's just happening wider in the realms, though. But it is like kind of another force at play. Sorry, I just talked for a super long time. Uh, anything you guys want to add in there? Anything I missed? No, no, that's perfect. Um, and I, I think it's uh, it, it's fun because it's Archeon has had the eight points secure for so long. And then, you know, in the subsequent storyline changes, now everybody's back in the eight points stirring up trouble. That's great. Um, I like it because it's, I mean, in the same way that it was sort of cross-cultural back when it was in the, the all points, now it's becoming cross-cultural again, but, you know, cross-cultural <laughs> in a sort of more of an antagonistic, uh, aggressive way. Yeah, the uh, way it, World War One was cross-cultural. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I already have a listener question that applies to this, uh, to this topic that we're on, and I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up now. Um, so I, I, as, as Paven has shown, there's been a, been a wide range of events. Um, it, it's been an active uh, location for, for a stretch now in this eight points. Um, but as it relates to Warcry, we've spent a lot of time in the eight points and, and throughout the different releases that it's all sort of, you know, dabbling in this Bloodwind spoil space. Um, since we're talking about the past and sort of how it inform, informs the, the present, um, the last release was Warcry Catacombs. Um, and so a listener 
in the Discord Thundercake. He asks, uh, did the catacombs lore hint at uh, Red Harvest coming in anyway? Um, and uh, now that we can look back and see if anything ties in. So a lot of what you described is sort of much bigger picture, larger lore um, events. Uh, did catacombs specifically tie into what we're tie into anything that we're seeing uh, in Red Harvest currently? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, not really. Um, I think the the main tie-in is that Varanthax's Maw is a, a place, a huge description about these Varanite mines and harvesting processes. And in that sense, the Red Harvest is all about Varanite mining and subsequent delves opening up across, the, at least in the Bloodburn Spoils, because Varanthax's Maw was attacked and most of the Varanite was stolen. And it kind of describes the fact that lots of warlords and warbands stole equipment from Varathax's Maw and have set up delves across other points in the Bloodman Spoils now to try and achieve the red, the Varanite goals that Archeon has set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that, that makes sense. And so maybe thematically it's related, but maybe there's no specific hints uh, uh, from, from Catacombs. And I, I agree from what I recall. Uh, but now that we're talking about the present day, we should probably jump right into the story as it exists uh, currently. What, what's happening here now? Um, so, Josh, you, you were talking about Archeon's goals. So what's, what's, what's going on there? So the, the Red Harvest kind of describes the, the fact that he's shocked, not really shocked, I guess, but uh, he's having to deal with all the different factions now in the eight points and they're disrupting his plans and his processes. And um, so it describes him sending out a, a quest for all the, all the members of chaos to harvest realm stone across the realms, uh, which, which is interesting in itself because you know, his, his supply of Varanite is much reduced because Varanthax's maw has been you know, destroyed and, and it's harder to, to produce more materials and so he sent out this call to get Realmstone from other places and, and corrupt it and defile it. And it talks about a few examples like Black Crystal from, from Hayish instead of Aether Quartz. Um, and, then, and then it goes on to say, and as part of that decree, you know, a lot of the war bands and, and just powerful warlords in the eight points said, well, you know, we're just going to start up some new Varanite mines. And the book describes a couple, you know, one in specifically, but mentions two, uh, Craft the Cursed, and it mentions uh, Steel Hells is the other one. But uh, but that's essentially what's happening here is he's had this call go out, Varanthax's Maw, which is the huge supplier of Varanite, is in disrepair and has been attacked. And so now we're finding delves sprouting up across the eight points now to try and make up for that lost supply of Varanite. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the... the, the the story, or at least a fair number of the stories, are focused in on that, like that cursed crafts, um, that the, the delve. But like the idea is that the, these, this box set could be taking a place at any of these delves, right? Like the idea that you could, like, there's they're sprouting up all over the place. They're maybe not individually as productive as the mall was, but um, right. collectively, um, they uh, ideally could, you know, generate uh, Varanite in a, you know, similar amounts, hopefully, and that's sort of the goals. But in the same way that it was central, not the same way, the opposite, the opposite way, where, whereas it was centralized before, now it's very much decentralized, uh, not un under the control of any one, you know, organization, one, you know, warlord or what have you, thus allowing for a lot more um, <laughs> conflict right. across the different, you know, war bands that are uh, called the, you know, the Blood One Spoils home. So, um, right. Right. Ripe, ripe for games and stories to be, to be played there for sure. Um, Haven, anything you want to add about the, the what, what's going on currently? 
Um, yeah, I, I, well, I just want to say it's uh, kind of Archeon's uh, command to go find uh, more of this, this precious substance was called the Varanthrax Decree. And I think that's a cool name. Yeah, this is a lower, lower podcast. Remind me, Varanthrax is, is a god beast or just a, a big... What, what what I can't remember. Yep, was a god beast, um, and uh, I, I can't remember. It's dragon shaped, and, and its skeleton essentially sits on top of Aranthax's maw. Yeah, I, I, if I if I remember correctly, I think it, it that's just the name of the like mountain range where the all this Varanite was found. <laughs> um, the I don't know if they know exactly what how the how the the beast died. I think it's like kind of a lost to myth. Mm. Furthermore, do you think it's a coincidence that Varen Thrax and the Varen Spire, like which came, which came first, what, what uh, or the yeah, Varen right. Guard? What is what is Varen in this in this case? Um, neither here nor there. Uh, all right, and then so we've we've done the past, we've done the present. Now let's do, we can do a little speculation if you guys want, if we got time for it, because um, everybody knows the Mortal Realms loves a good scry. But uh, where do we, where do we think the, the story's going to go from here? Does anybody have any good, uh, good juicy um, predictions here? Take it away, Paven. Oh, sure. Well, one uh, kind of within the book itself is a gimme, which is uh, that they want to use, they're using the, the Varanite to build like engines of war and the, um, the, uh, the chaos Duradin that have been found in the eight points and that are, that that we know have like kind of cities and and and, and territories within the eight points uh, are building those for Archaon. So I think they're going to play a big role, possibly in even the invasion of Azir. Um, I've heard rumors that way. So I think like we're definitely getting some uh, Chaos Duradin. Um, they've been mentioned since like Warcry uh, version one in the book as like uh, NPCs you would interact with. Um, so I think I, I would, that would be my first scry is that they're going to be involved and they're going to be a, a, a release in a range at some point. Um, I'll, I'll pause right there. So um, actually speaking of chaos to uh, Arden, uh, um, a listener was asking, was asking about that. So I sh- we should probably bring that up. So uh, Lich casts a patron of the mortal realms. Thank you very much. Lich cast. Yes. Uh, any sign or hints of the chorfs as we all know, meaning the chaos dwarfs. Um, so your your guess is that we're gonna go we're gonna head in that direction. Remind me, guys, did you, were, were there uh, were there mention of the, those Dwarden in this book at all? I jumped around quite a bit, and I don't remember them specifically being brought be brought up in this book. But I just might have missed it. Um, do you, do we know if it's in this story or in this book at all? Yeah, well, it, when they bring out um, Krath it, it, uh, specifically, they mentioned that the machinery used to mine uh, the the Varanite was Duradin forged. Oh, nice. So they eventually, I mean, maybe we'll talk about this later, bound demons to them. Uh, but like the original kind of mecha- mechanisms were, were from Dirt. Uh, Which makes sense and doesn't surprise me at all. I wish I had a digital, I was going to, I was literally going to try and control F if I would have had a digital version of it to see uh, if there were any chaos dwarves in there. Um, <laughs> but there's no such luck. Um, all right. You said, Paven, you said that was your first uh, scry. Do, do you have additional scries or do we want to ask Josh? Uh, I, well, my other scry, I, well, I think we should ask Josh first. Okay. Josh, <laughs> Hey, Josh, what, where do you, where do you think we're headed here? Um, well, first I'll say that there are spoilers. I'm going to mention some things that are described in the branching quests and conclusions. So just, uh, I won't get too detailed, but, but a few of the quests, um, allude to the current storyline in terms of heir of the beast, but, uh, there are a couple of them do mention, 
shadowy powers influencing decisions. And in one of the quests, there's this group of shadow stalkers that are trying to thwart um, a Cainite worshiper from trying to ascend, just like Marathi did. And um, when they uh, take off with the Varanite at the end of the of the particular quest, they leave some behind, but they also leave a dagger that's inscribed with Ugu's Shadow King's symbol. So sent by Malarion, you know, so these shadow stalkers are working for Malarion and not for Marathi. So, you know, there are a few different shadowy references. You know, one shadowy power could be Bellicor, but, you know, so it could be Bellicor, it could be Malarion, and, I, you know, I think Ulgu, Ulgu Elves and Malarion are probably going to play a, a role in some of the futures come through. I love that, Scry, and I, I agree with you. When I when I read the, the little story that you're, you're mentioning about the, um, the, the Shadow King uh, knife or dagger that left behind, it, it's, I think they're, they're drip, they're drip feeding us now to get us ready. Cause I, I think it's, it's a glaring, obviously it's one, it's one of the few holes left in the ranges, right. As the, the shadow elves. And so it's, um, we, we've known for a long time, it's only a matter of time. So the fact that we're getting, we're getting these hints now is really getting me ramped up. Um, and I'm not even a big dark elves guy, but, uh, at this point I just love completing sets. So, uh, <laughs> bring them on. Um, so that, that I'm excited uh, about as well. And then, um, if we're just talking about other players in the, in the space, I, I'm I'm jazzed uh, to see what Gordrek has to do, uh, what, what he's going to be up to uh, in the eight points. Um, I think I remember, remember back to our Kragnos discussion. I feel like I was uh, wholly on Team Gordrak uh, at that point. Um, he's he he's taking control and he's taking charge in uh, in the eight points, and he's he's gonna um, he's gonna crack some skulls because he's got a, basically he's got some making up to do. Uh, he's he's done some soul searching and. Uh, he's ready to uh, reassert his dominance and I think it's, we're ripe for something very neat uh, in, in, in this space. Yeah. And he's off to challenge Archeon, right? Yeah. But head, head butt that nerd. Uh, yeah. I love uh, the, the scries both of you had. I definitely, uh, that, that uh, find of uh, the shadow King of Ugu was very cool. Uh, and I'm just waiting for Gordrak's redemption arc. I really need a like, oh, how, uh, you know, how get him to get his groove back or the wall was inside of him all along. <laughs> uh, really, you know, after kind of the beating he took in Kragnos, I'm ready for him to like, uh, he's like, what? Yeah, so the, I think a lot of the stuff we talked about has been a, on a much grander scale. Um we had uh, another question from Thundercake that uh, he asked here. He asked um, anything in the Red Harvest lore that points to the next box. And so let me let me let me modify that question or, or clarify that question in terms of what I'm interested in, <laughs> because that's what's important <laughs> is what I is what I want. And that like it, we in Catacombs we didn't necessarily predict that the the Red Harvest would be sort of the direction that we were going. But it's also we didn't necessarily know that we we weren't looking for what the next thing was, at least in my mind. Now that we kind of know, we go from catacombs to red harvest. Do you guys have any predictions on uh, where the story could go on the smaller scale or on the, like the war, war cry scale, right? Cause they're, they're not concerned with the big movers and shakers of the world. You know, it's, it's the interpersonal stories at this level. Um, where do you guys either expect it to go or where do you want to go um, at the, again, the, the war band sized uh, space? Um, I, I don't know we don't have the nothing in Red Harvest really like screamed to me like, oh, this is obviously going to be the next set kind of similar to uh, how Catacombs didn't, as you mentioned, the uh, they could take it in any direction, really. I really would 
like them to take it into out of the eight points. I think that could be like really fresh and refreshing just to see something like a different non-corrupted or non-completely corrupted uh, environment to battle in. Uh, so that would be, that would be my, like what, like uh, let's say Archeon busts open the gate of his ear and now like, you know, uh, chaos is now rules like a big se- section of the lore of, uh, the, not the lore of heavens, but the uh, realm of heaven. Very eighth edition yeah. of you. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was trying to call down some Cassandra's comment. Uh, but uh, the, yeah, a big section of the realm of heavens. And so it's like half, idyllic and beautiful and half corrupted and like have like and now there's like war bands just roaming the countryside uh battling it out there um, that would be cool that would be cool. wild that's wild yeah josh do you have any hopes and dreams um you know i haven't thought about that i mean i, I love the idea of using the Warcry rule sets and everything outside of the the eight points as well um you know and i think It'd be fun to have some more cities and different types of campaigns. I know some people like Shada, you know, Soroth Core, but still wanted something more Mordheim-esque. You know, so if they came out with a campaign system, you know, maybe we're delving deeper and closer to the Varen Spire and some ruined industrial complexes and cities that, you know, we could introduce in more in-depth details set or something like that. Or maybe we head back to, you know, the in-between realms. That would be kind of interesting, too. Yeah, right on. Um, I agree. I like the idea of, of um, pull, uh, pulling up stakes from the eight points and, and venturing to parts unknown. However, given that the Bloodwind Spoils is just one uh, pizza slice of right. um, the eight points as a whole, I... I wonder if they would be more inclined to just shift one to the left, one to the right, you know, pick a different slice and uh, explore a space still in the eight points that maybe is, you know, different but the same. I wonder if they would be more interested in doing I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe yeah. we have to interview him. I haven't asked him, but I'd be curious to see uh, how that how that would look. The thing is, is like the eight points is already so wild and varied in that like it's just – Oh, every version of corruption you can think of exists in this space. And so like maybe they can get creative while keeping their foot in the corrupted, um, you know, uh, I don't want to keep using the word space um, in the corrupted milieu, um, perhaps. Uh, that's that's what I expect. I would uh-huh. I'm with you guys, though, in preferring that like, you know, let's just let's just skip the whole thing entirely. Let's let's ransack a Nazarian city or something like that. I think that would be uh, very neat. Um, but let's see where they see where they go. I definitely thought when they were dabbling with the ooh, the canine shadow stalkers. Yep. Um, that that they were going to, you know, they were going to sort of ditch the the chaos. Um sort of shackles a little bit and expand out. Uh, but then here we are, we've turned right back around and, and dove right back into chaos. So I have no idea uh, what they plan on doing or where they plan on going with this. So right, right. I do like the pie slice idea though, shifting, you know, one to the left, one to the right, you know, and, and see, you know, maybe there's terrain or, or cities more related to that particular realm gate that kind of shift the, the, the narrative a little bit. That Actually, that, that would be super cool. However, the fact that the the one we're in right now doesn't seem to have, any, at least from to my mind, doesn't have all that much to do with because what is it? it's between Shaman and and Gur and Gur is it is it are we getting really Shaman Gur vibes out of this slice? Yeah, maybe with the industry. Yeah, I guess that's kind of got, yeah. We got a little bit more now, right? That'd be yeah, too. yeah, that's true. <laughs> Actually, that's a good point because then wouldn't that be cool for every pie slice you go through that like the the environment is 
what what is the mixture of uh, I don't know, you know, life and fire and chaos? Add, add those three together, and what does that look like? That would be neat um, to see. Yeah. Uh, like, well, but, but I think the the pie slice to the right is I think it's Gyran, right? Because that's where the they came in when Marathi and the Stormhost. So that, you know that that one's essentially open and guarded too. So that would add a, a different element that you might have to worry about. Yeah, true. Um, let's get him on the horn. Let's ask him what's, what's coming up. Um, right, right. <laughs> uh, all right. So with that, I got through the questions that people were asking. Um, do you guys have any story-based thoughts that you want to chat about here? The floor is open. I feel like we covered we covered it as far as story goes. Yep. I think so, too. Um, in that case, just it's next on the list. Uh, and, and for no particular reason, uh, we we also have a pair of new war bands that might be worth uh, chatting about. Um, I, I'm into them. I hope you guys are into them. Um, so let's dive right in. So uh, we've got Dark Oath listed first, unless anybody objects, but we can, we can start chatting about these guys. Perfect. Sounds great. Awesome. So for the person who's... Uh, Who's who's putting together the dark oath? Josh, you want to tell us about them? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So the the dark oath are essentially a faction. We keep getting you know individual models for, and then we got an underworld's war band, and you know now we've got more models. So hopefully they'll be a faction unto themselves. A lot of people think the Marauders will become the dark oath, um, but they're essentially undivided chaos worshippers, a group of humans who have um, you know made an oath to chaos. Uh, to follow them, and and they're focused on victory and attaining glory, improving themselves. And in this particular war band, they you know whatever oaths you make, they will follow and they will do it until it's done. And um, you know, and they're focused on challenging themselves and attaining glory. Very nice, uh, kind of not really barbarian esque, but a little bit since they designed a model that looked very similar to Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> kind of hails back to some previous models in Hero Quest, so uh, a lot, a lot of fun uh, throwbacks there. And uh, the models have a lot of furs and bones and uh, muscles and skin. So yeah, kind of definitely have that Dark Oath Barbarian, and they fit well with the with the War Queen and the uh, the Dark Oath Chieftain that they had released a while back too. Yeah, good job naming them. Um, I, I have a, a comment and I have a question. Comment. Um, I was just despondent i was i was beside myself when i thought you know what the dark oath are done after i think it was the it was the uh the the, underworlds yeah it was the underworlds was the it was the last sort of release there and i thought right you know what they're going in a different direction i see what what they've got going with war cry um the the dark oath doesn't necessarily align with that concept per se so like it was a fun little experiment but we're not going to see these guys again what a wait what what wasted potential uh but now I have new hope. They released these this new war band. I can see that they still they they, they still have a place uh, in you know sort of the, the I was gonna say the pantheon, not the pantheon, the range um, of of chaos. And uh, I was so delighted to see them brought back. And if at the very least, if they're not you know if it's not a brand new faction, with the way that and I use this term endearingly, I don't have a problem with this idea. With the way that they're souping battle tomes and sort of subdividing a lot of these battle tomes into you know parceling out like sub races and sub factions and some, you know, some alliances in these books. Uh, there's, I see no reason why dark oath can't serve that same purpose in the slaves to dark, uh, slaves to darkness range. Um, and I hope, I hope to see a lot more. So that's my comment. My question, however, 
How do you guys feel with the Dark Oath Savagers and the, oh my gosh, I don't do Warcry stuff, the beast, the Untamed Beasts sort of side by side, too close, sufficiently separated? Um, does that rub you the wrong way at all? No, good question. Um, I think, you know, aesthetically, the the Untamed Beasts have, you know, they don't use metal at all. So that distinguishes the two of them very clearly. So one's got bones, they have a lot more bone weapons, they have more decorations on their heads. Um, and, um, even though they're all, you know, have furs and they're a little bit more muscular and skinned, the, the Dark Oath models are all larger. You know, there aren't any, um, younger aspirants or anything in this particular war band. And then again, they're all using, uh, metal weapons and they have the one, I don't know, sightseer, the shamanistic lady, which is oh, yeah. a fun addition. Yeah, so mm-hmm. she, she casts some spells, can predict the future, give you some wild dice. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like the, the blind guide. There's, in, in one way, and I, I did do this model, she's got a hand that holds an eyeball, just like Ogra from the Dark Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So it seems like it doesn't bother you. Pavin, do you, do you have any thoughts about the proximity between Untamed Beasts and the, the Savagers? Uh, not the Untamed Beasts. Oh, different direction. Fire Tyrants. Uh, Spire Tyrants ha- don't have that kind of, uh, like, they're not from, like, uh, the Untamed Beasts are from Gur, So they're very, uh, and they have, like, a you know, that weird lion uh, with them. And so they have a more animalistic bent, uh, as Josh mentioned. And so I think they have a strong theme. Uh, the Spire Tyrants are gladiators. That is their theme. But aesthetically, kind of very similar to the dark oath i think the dark oath come out on top as far as uh miniatures uh but i think we i don't think we needed two non-realm war bands that i don't uh, that didn't do something super weird i guess they weren't weird enough either of them i don't know i think it's fine they're all cool models i don't know uh but i think like yeah those two are too similar a little bit they kind of exist in the same space. Yeah, that's true. It's it's kind of like a it's a gradient. You go from like untamed beasts to dark oath to uh, spire tyrants. In my mind, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's an evolution. Maybe like one goes from the next, like one like a, a beast like discovers hey, and this metal's pretty cool, and then they become a dark oath, and they're like, wait a sec, I'm gonna go fight in the pits. Um, that's my own head cannon. Um, Josh, do you have a response? No, no, I think that's a, that is a good point. Uh, I think, um, obviously, narratively, they have very different, you know, one's a gladiatorial war band, which is why they have mixed races in it as well, which is kind of cool. Um, but, yeah, I definitely think Paven's right in terms of, you know, how much armor they've got, the sorts of weapons and mixes. You know, they can be similar in some respects. But, yeah, I think it's the ideology that definitely separates the two. Yeah. And I think maybe the only reason or the reason I even bring this up in the first place is that Warcry does such a great job. I mean, specifically with with their war bands by uh, at introducing the wild and the weird into this space. And so they've for so many of the other ones, they've gone just sort of off. They've gone off the deep end, I guess. Yeah. I mean, they, they've they've really uh, pushed the boundary on what, you know, what they're capable of doing in these models. And at the same time, there are these like. A couple examples that we just talked about of, of very similarities where they didn't need to they didn't need to necessarily do that they could have gone you know in a completely uh, completely different direction and so um, I, I think that that similarity 
stands out like the uniformity is what stands out compared to you know the the the, the wildness of some of the other ones um yeah, and I think uh, one of the appeals of Dark Oath in general for uh, I've seen for a lot of people is the fact that, okay, it, it kind of helps answer the question, what happened to humans during the Age of Chaos? Well, <laughs> this is what happened to humans. And and if, uh, if, if you've read the book War Queen, it does a really nice kind of description of, you know, it talks about a War Queen and her role in, in the Dark Oath war band. And, but it talks about how they live and what they do and, you know, how they fit into the realm of, you know, during the Age of Chaos, but still... Are, are people, you know, so I think this kind of lends that particular information in terms of these are undivided worshippers of chaos. They're relatively, you know, still human, you know, and they just have a pantheon of gods that they worship, you know, just like Orderwood or something else. But, but it's, you know, I think in that, that way, it kind of adds that interest and, and answers some questions for people. Yeah, I agree. But I think in terms of weird and wild, we're definitely coming out to our next war band here. Yeah, that's like true. Brood. Let's talk about the tarantulas brood. Uh, Paven, you want you want to chat about your spider dudes? Yeah. So my Spider Man are a bunch of weird boys uh, and and gals. Uh, yeah, they're they're for sure creeps. Uh, what they want to do? Well, so you know, their version of chaos is a giant spider that is poisoning the realms and stabbing it with its legs. And do spiders stab things with their legs? Does that even ever happen? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, not, but not really, really yeah. horrible uh, kind of uh, chaos as a spider, which you thought chaos was bad. Wait till it's a spider. Um, Cause you know, a, you know, eight points, eight eyes, eight legs, like coincidence. It basically writes itself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so, yeah. And so they really, they really into spiders. They have like kind of spider, like, uh, I wouldn't say familiars, maybe familiars, but they like, they hang out with a lot of spiders. They have like spiders, the size of dogs that they kind of interface with and, and, and join the war band. And what they're trying to do, which is the worst part is that they're trying to turn themselves into spiders. Um, cause they think that would be the best way to worship chaos is to turn themselves into giant monstrous spiders. So they're, experimenting on themselves using magic and science and just um, uh, surgery to transform, yeah, to, like, give themselves extra arms and more eyes and, you know, to try to take the perfect form of a chaos spider. And, um, you know what, Varanite, one of the things it's really great for is uncontrollable mutations. And so Varanite is key to these dark experiments. Um, so, uh, they're trying to gather it to like, some, I don't know, get all oiled up with it and grow a bunch of extra arms and, uh, do it that way. So their, their miniature line is a bunch of creeps. Yeah. Real creepy. So, I mean, I think, I feel like there's been plenty of stories of, uh, people who wanted to be Spider-Man messing with, uh, radioactive <laughs> spiders. I mean, this is just the, the Warhammer version of that, um, right. This is what they don't tell you. <laughs> this is how this is how <laughs> Spider Man was made. Yeah. Uh, Josh, do you have any anything you want to add to our tarantulas brood? Yeah, no, I think the the concept of the eightfold watcher is, is a fun one. Um, you know, especially with all the correlations to eight pointed star realms and everything else. And um, some of the they have some interesting lore where they talk about having uh, a gestalt, psychic gestalt. You know, so they all sort of communicate with each other or connected to each other and the spiders that follow them, you know, so it's definitely like an insect brood of some sort where there's this 
subliminal psychic com- communication that's ongoing within sword bands, and that that's a kind of a neat concept that we haven't really seen. You, you expect that maybe with like a Zinchian war band or something, but here they kind of point that out, and it, it certainly seems interesting. And uh, some of the quests that are related to them are all about capturing people to do experiments to, you know, help help them ascend. <laughs> so, they're so generous. They're so kind of them. I, I know, right? So they can learn from it and help them then use the information on themselves. Yes. <laughs> um, you you mentioned that something you some of the stuff you'd expect out of a Zinchian war band, but like to some degree, we don't know that this isn't a Zinchian war band, right? Like it's not really talked about in this book, but I think one of the themes, you know, like OG war cry was that right. a lot of these uh war cry war band and chaos war bands are worshiping their own sort of deities and pantheons not really understanding that like you know maybe what they're worshiping is is a stand-in for a chaos god that they just don't know that well um and so like if i were to if i you know gun to my head if i had to pick what chaos god most emulates the um the Spider God, well, it seems very Zinchian, right? He's got his he's got his yeah. webs. He's you know he's he's weaving all sorts of plots. He's got his he's got a foot in each realm kind of thing. Um, so like change, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. yep, exactly, change. That's a great idea. Um, so yeah. so that maybe they are worshiping Zinch, they just don't don't realize it. Um, before Warcry, I didn't realize how much I needed animal based chaos factions but uh now that we keep getting them i'm I'm all about it i'm glad that they're doing it we've got our snakes we've got our is it crows or ravens um and now we've got our spiders here as well uh that's just just keep them coming find the creepiest and crawliest of creatures and then slap a warband on them and i'm and i'm here for it uh oh we had that uh, scorpion symbol in you know catacombs you know maybe there's a scorpion based warband out there still i wouldn't be surprised yeah i mean continue (laughs) with our spider-man villains as well um uh, a, a question from the Discord. Will Lawless, also a patron, thank you very much, Will. Um, he asks, uh, "How localized are the Tarantulas peeps?" Um, I'll, I'll preface that with a lot of, not all, but many of our Warcry cast warbands they hail from a given mortal realm. So that you know, not the eight points, but they come from you know, Gyran or Gur or what have you. Um, I, I didn't get a sense of if or where any uh, any uh, Tarantulas folks like hailed from did they did they just get their start from the eight points or do they do they have an affinity to anywhere else do you guys did you guys pick up anything pick up on anything uh like that in the book um I, i'll just say that for both both war bands in this box set the darko savagers and tarantulas brood don't have any reference to any realm that they come from um i, I definitely think for the darko savagers they could come from anywhere because there are humans worshiping chaos across the realms mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, but they didn't they didn't mention specifically that tarantulas brood is localized only here, but that's quite possible because that's where the Varanite is. But they they do allude to other techniques that they use to ascend. What about your thoughts, Paven? Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen anything specifically that put them in a place. Um, yeah, I think it could be anywhere. I, I you know we haven't heard of them before, but I you know there could be pockets of this weird uh, chaos cult anywhere in the realms. Maybe right behind you. <laughs> um, I yeah, I, I agree with that being the case. However, I I, I kind of miss. I, I liked the idea of like the each of the bands kind of like hailing from a realm. Um, now that we've covered all of them besides Azir, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm bummed that we might like lose some of that like pattern and trend. I thought uh, again, like with the 
Canaanite uh, forces that they were going to do another round, you know, maybe from an order perspective. I feel, I feel like everybody was talking about that for a while, thinking that was the direction that we went. But mm-hmm. uh, nope, throw me, threw me off, threw me off the scent. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. I really liked that they tried to talk like each of the warbands were from a like kind of devolved culture. Like, you know, there was a version of the um, the what was the the guy ran one? Uh, the the splintered fang. There you go. Uh, yeah, there was like a version of the splintered fang that that worshipped the god beast that didn't actually worship chaos and that they were like a kind of a regular um uh, kind of a tribal group within the within Guy Ran, and that they but they fell to chaos, and you could kind of see that uh, in the miniature range and like the way they're described in the narrative. And I feel like they weren't so specific uh, with the Dark Oath in the Tarantulas uh, or Tarantulos, uh, and I, I kind of miss it. I like I like it when things are really specific, yeah. Um, or in, in if they just give us an example of a kind of a coven or a sect of the tarantulas that was that came that you know came out of ulgu or something um that was like you know out of the the decaying corpse of a civilization they kind of spring up i think that'd been really cool so i hope they do more of that i agree wholeheartedly i'm right there with you um any final thoughts about our two new war bands before we continue no Okay, awesome. All right, so then I think next one of the the one of the third and maybe final pillar of the the lore in this year book is we've been presented with a wide range of quests uh, in this uh, here tome, um, and maybe we could uh, chat about some of the the fun things that we we found uh, in those. Um, I guess maybe I'll start with so uh, and it's different. There's different types of quests uh, in this book as well. Um, because we've got our two new warbands, obviously they got to give us some quests for those warbands to go on um, for the Dark Oath and for the Tarantulas. Did anything from either of the the four quest lines for those warbands? Did anything jump out at you guys, or um, things you want to talk about for those for those? Yeah, uh, one of the Dark Oath quests is called Sundered Oaths, and um, again, oaths being extremely important to the Dark Oath. Um, th- your warband is is taking up the quest to go after an oathbreaker shaman named Orax Nine Tongue. Who was uh who promised to make seventy Varanite blades for the the seventy um, Varengard, and um, so he, he essentially leaves, and they have to chase him down throughout the quest. But he reveals something interesting at the end of the quest line. Again, spoilers, which uh, you know could allude to some future narrative bits in Warcry or or in AOS in general. But he says a shadowy power taught him. Or, or revealed to him that Varanite must not be disturbed by mortal hands, and that Archeon would suffer, and then everybody in Krath would f- would fall in time. You know, so it's well, somebody manipulating him to make him not make these weapons, or is there actually some further deeper story with Varanite and something bad's going to happen in the eight points because it's been digging up and it's destabilizing the the, the mini realm, or or what what might happen? And uh, so uh, I thought that was a kind of a neat. Uh, reveal that you know maybe turns into something maybe not yeah i agree you know when we were asking before like where do we think this is going to go are there any hints in the in the book and we were like eh, no not really it's not necessarily clear well i mean you could maybe consider this one of those like this could be a, a consideration as to what what then happens next especially if like the the thread of war cry like follows you know veronite it's like the story right. of veronite like i mean yep. maybe that would be the next logical uh, uh event to occur so yeah that is it was really neat um, 
Paven, did you have any uh, quests here? Anything out in these these quests that jumped out at you? Uh, nothing that jumped out at me besides what Josh already mentioned, the shadowy power. My my money, uh, like the, the easy money is on Bellicor, just trying to subvert Archeon, uh, but it could be something else more weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the quests are good. They're pretty standard. Like, hey, go in, uh, fight a bunch of people, get some Varanite. I think they all have that through them. Nothing I really want to call out, at least for these four quests. Sure. Um, it occurs to me as I'm reading these notes, I've got a listener question that really belonged up in the Warband section that I forgot to ask, so I'm going to have to ask it right now. Sorry, Tough Ghost. Um, but because uh, uh, they ask, is there any mention of this is a non sequitur. I apologize. Uh, is there any mention of non-human members of either warband? Uh, do you think that we'll see more mixed species warbands released for Warcry? So again, this makes more sense up above. But um, I don't remember any mention of non-human members of the warband, unless you consider this uh, spider people no longer human at this point. But um, <laughs> well, and the spiders themselves, I suppose, right? They've got the spiders in the warband, but right, right. But both of them are pretty human-based, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the only mixed species. Well, we've got we've got a couple. We've got the the spire tyrants. That, that, that one's quite mixed. Uh, the what the iron golems have a chaos dwarf and an ogre. And, um, the splinter fang have a an elf. Yep. And um, but yeah, those are the only mixed ones that I'm aware of. I don't. These don't have any besides the spiders. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I'm not sure if they'll you know what they might introduce in the future. I think. It, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I really hope they do more. I think that's more. That's really interesting when it's uh, kind of a because chaos is cross cultural. It's a very um, it's a growing it's a growing religion. Uh, so um, yeah, I like to see that manifested in miniatures, and I hope they do more more of that. I think they will. Uh, they just they didn't pursue that for these two war bands. Yeah, so I no, I agree uh, that where I I do expect and hope that we will see more mixed species war bands because it gives you opportunity to like re envision like what it means to be an elf or an ogre or like whatever just whatever the next thing is right like maybe they could come up with uh, uh, they drop a skaven in a war band or I'm just looking at my wall with the pictures on it like or they drop a corrupted sylvaneth no that's probably not going to happen but like just generally it. it I had mentioned before about how wild they can get with some of these war bands. I think uh, that is that is going to be the hallmark of things going forward. Like that, this Warcry is the space where you know you can drop all sorts of wacky, crazy stuff. Yeah, definitely. All about it. All right. So uh, we talked about the sort of faction specific quests. They also introduced these branching quests uh, into. Uh, Red Harvest, which is to say it's no longer a single route to glory. The path is no longer uh, uh, a one one track, but rather you can you can pick and choose how you reach the the top of the pecking order, so to speak. Um, and so they for each uh, Grand Alliance, they, they give you this branching quest line, which is actually pretty cool. You get some choice, you get some options. Um, did anything in, in these uh, quests jump out at you guys in terms of uh, stuff that our listeners need to know about? Um, I'll just mention as a as a general statement. I thought it was a pretty interesting addition because the faded quest that they'd added before, you could you would have two options at the end, you know, and that kind of determined what what uh, reward you got. But yeah, this is quite different where you have you have the quest and then you're you're given a choose your own adventure story. Like oh, you've got three paths to go down, and some of them even branch one more time. You've got two choices off of that one. So I, I thought that was a, a really nice addition where you can continue to make different choices based on your narrative and on the same quest as somebody else. 
I thought it was really a neat addition. So. Yeah, I agree. It's very, um, so they used to do something similar. They had a little campaign, I don't, or, I don't know what you'd call them, but in Warhammer Fantasy, like towards the end there, they released a, a bunch of like, you would, you would, I don't know, you had your own little campaign that you would do and you, it would branch off in different directions. It wasn't exactly the same setup, but like they've explored that space before and I'm glad to see them uh, circle back to it however many years uh, later. So that was was pretty neat. Uh, one one thing I like that I've been seeing in these quests, and we already mentioned kind of the elf subplot to the chaos quest, which is really cool. Uh, when, um, uh, we, I guess I'll spoil it a little bit. At the end of one of them, uh, you're trying to ha- help, uh, as Josh mentioned before, an agent of Marathi, or not an agent of Marathi, but a uh, just a regular kind of uh, daughter of Cain, try to follow in Marathi's footsteps and also uh, pursue ascension. Uh, so she gathers a bunch of Varanite uh, into like a, you know, a, a cauldron of blood and jumps in. And as you can imagine, she just like turns into like a, a complete monster and it doesn't work at all. And like the whole quest is like, yeah, you're pretty sure this isn't going to work, but you know, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> that was a really cool one. Um, and, uh, and, but you also, there's a lot of these, I was like when you interact with interesting characters, cause it gives you like a little bit, you know, more insight into what's going on. Um, cause you don't often see like NPCs in Warhammer, right? That's um, true. So yeah. The, uh, and so you get to also like entreat, you can, you have an option of like working with Skaven as well. And I don't know, we didn't get a lot of, I think this is not the first mention of Skaven in the eight points, but we don't get a lot of mention of them. So it's cool to see, you know, your war band working with a master molder to, you know, use the Varanite to make really gross Skaven stuff. Uh, so that's cool. Yeah. Green. Um, I like the order question because a lot of it is based off of like sabotaging the machines and so it really brings in the the really cool terrain from this box set in, into play um yeah. in that like i think I mean, we haven't really even talked about it all that much but like with this mining of the varanite comes awesome terrain which is a, a again a one of the major selling factors of of war cry um and so i liked the idea i i don't ever get to play all that much but like i do like these storylines that are really integrating the the terrain on which you're you know you're playing with, so like they're they're sort of they go hand in hand, and so because of that you're going to be sabotaging the 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 what are like the sluices or the you know the pumps yeah. and stuff like that. So um, that it's very ordery uh, in in this space. Yep. Yeah, and uh, I think the destruction and death quests were are, are interesting because again they kind of tell the story of all right, well these factions are in the eight points. What are they actually doing here? And so the destruction one, as you imagine, is, is somewhat chaotic where you're the, the person, your war band, apparently you lost your boss's your lucky bone charm in a squig, ate it and ran away and you're going to go chase it down. But <laughs> in terms of that, then then you like, then the branching quest starts up and you're like, oh, I can continue to chase in the squig or maybe I'll go find some artifacts or maybe I got to stop these people from collecting this stuff. You know, So kind of branches out from there. Yeah, there's a lot of funny... Uh, forgetting what you were doing in that quest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It was like <laughs> that was a great little tidbit at the end of that one. <laughs> well, I like the idea. I like the idea that it, it you know highlights that people aren't just the both destruction and death aren't just twiddling their thumbs now that they've made what is it egress into the into the the realm. Like there there right. there are things to be done and you know quests to you know accomplish. Um, Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, yeah, for death, they're they're all about. Well, we got to fi- figure out what this Varanite stuff is, so we know how to counter it and whatever else. And and then the, it, it kind of alludes to you know death not being immune to it. 
And so they got to figure out how to handle it appropriately and, or find somebody with the information and how to handle it or just bring some material back for study. So it, definitely some kind of fun uh, insight into how those factions view Varanite and what's going on. Yeah, uh, I think that covers again. I'm, I'm just, I just made up these three pillars, but the three pillars of this of this here book. Um, however, there's a couple other questions that have come in or things that we can talk about uh, yet. Um, let me start with a question from th- another question from Thundercake. Thank you, Thundercake, for all your questions. Um, and to your listener, if you yourself want to ask questions uh, on the Moral Realms, I'll tell you what you got to do. You got to hang out in our Discord server, which is found at www.themortalrealms.com slash Discord. Hang out there all day, every day. Uh, and then just hope that one day I ask, hey, we're going to record an episode tonight. Would you like to ask any questions? And there's your chance. It's not a trick. You can just do it. Um, and Thundercake asked, uh, any other war bands hinted at in the lore? Um Let's start there. Uh, did you guys get it? Did you get any whiffs of any potential warbands uh, in this here book? Yeah, I think just the allusion to uh, shadow stalkers working for Malarion were the was the big one I saw, or some sort of shadowy elf working for Malarion. Anyway, yeah, good good hint. Um, I didn't see any others. Paven, did you see anything in there? No, we we got. I feel like we got more hints in catacombs, at least with wild symbols. We didn't know what they meant uh, mm-hmm. than we did here. Uh, so, uh, yeah, no, I mean, Skaven are mentioned, dwarves are mentioned, or chaos dwarves are mentioned, uh, but otherwise, no war band. Um, this isn't what he was asking, but I thought one of the cool parts of the book was um, that there were a number of, like, sidebar, um, like, named characters that they just give yeah. you little, little blurbs on. But it was neat because they give you just little little folks I'd never heard of before, and, and not even just in the chaos war bands, but, in, you know, there was a Stormcast in there, and, and, and uh, uh Knight, um, Shadowstalker in there too. Um, so they're not new warbands per se, but it's, it's, uh, you know, new characters that, um, are, you know, we just got a little bit of background on or, you know, a little bit of, like a pull quote from them, um, which, uh, I thought was a, a nice, a nice touch. I like when they do stuff like that. Yeah. A little cameos. They're pretty cool. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, did you guys have any other things you wanted to talk about? Other points of interest, the things, uh, we're chatting about. Yeah, the one other point of interest that they mentioned two Varanite delves in in Red Harvest. They, you know, again, Krath and then Steel Hells. And Steel Hells they don't really talk about at all further in the book. They just a little blurb in the map that talks about it being occupied with these machine entities wandering in the darkness. So either the demonic machines or, you know, maybe they were made to be mining machines, but now they walk around and dominate the delves. So, you know, I thought it was really interesting. It'd be fun to come up with some scenarios where you have wandering monsters and there are all these machines that are wandering around the delve that you've got to deal with in addition to the normal quests. Yeah, a clockwork chaos faction would be really right. Cool. <laughs> right. Demonic machine chaos faction. Yeah. 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 Which I mean, that was a lot of what chaos dwarfs were, were right? Like they weren't right. weren't a lot of their war machines like possessed or somewhere like demonic war machines maybe i made that up but i thought that was like there was that train that must have been a demon train ahead to have been um it's very scary uh <laughs> pavener anything you want to talk about uh no i think for uh like four full pages of lore which is kind of what the start of this book is i think we've got a pretty solid podcast out of it yeah we sure did 
We're only at like an hour at this point. I'm used to my three hour. We got to we got to pad this baby. Um, and, and to that end, actually, while we've been recording, uh, Lichcast, patron of the show, and since he's a patron, I got to bring this up. He asked another question. That's why we, we do this live, man. Like it just off the cuff. Um, he had asked, uh, "What's Arcan doing now that he's done calling people forever choosing?" Um, did we we kind of talked about. What he's up to, right? His goal being that he's collecting the yeah. the the Varanite, right? So that's all the book really hints at. Um, but now that a lot of people are beating down his door, I imagine we're going to get a lot more Arcan uh, real soon. So stay tuned yeah. for that. And I don't think he's ever done ever choosing. Yeah, I think he's, there's a, the call is always out there, like the bat signal. <laughs> a, ABC always be choosing um, Arcan. Uh, and then finally, last thing I want to chat about is we should probably give a, a final, I don't know, review, our final thoughts on the book. Um, what, uh, what did we, what did we think about? Actually, first of all, let's say um, uh, we, we should probably thank GW for sending us a copy, and by us, I mean you guys, uh, a copy of Red Harvest is mighty yeah. kind of you. Um, but this is this is an un, this what I want from you guys is an unbiased uh, review of at least the lore uh, of of the the expansion. Um, mm-hmm. What did you guys think? I'll start with Josh. Um, I thought the the lore was fun. It was kind of fun to see how it evolved from Varanthax's Maw and how it incorporated the ongoing AOS storyline. I thought that was nice. Um, The two new warbands are really cool. You know, one kind of a generic in the world. These are normal people now in the Chaos Realms. This is how they work. And then a wildly off-the-cuff, you know, mutative warband. I thought those are awesome. And I think that adds a lot of fun lore to this uh, in addition to the branching quests, what I thought was a nice touch for the choosing your own adventure paths. Yeah, I wonder if they'll do more branching branching quests. I think they probably should. Uh, mm-hmm. And also, I said unbiased, Josh. Come on, man. Uh, <laughs> I kid. Pay my you? own box because <laughs> yeah, I, I gave you one. Yeah, I know. Uh, so. <laughs> uh, me, me too. I'm still waiting for my box. Um, <laughs> like Paven, uh, what did you what did you what did you think of it? I give it six out of eight. Fold watchers. Oh, there you go. That's how we're supposed to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a moral realms listener right there. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. I guess seriously. Uh, good book. Good starter set. Wasn't necessarily like a ten out of ten lore book for me. It was a little like light on the lore and didn't. Mm-hmm. It was it was a continuation of an existing story. And I'm always hungry for like twists and turns. Uh, but yeah. Good book. Uh, if you haven't gotten to Warcry War yet, this is uh, this is a really great set, and I think the only starter set that's available. So uh, yeah, pick it up. Catacombs is done. Yeah, it must be. Actually, yeah, that sounds right. Um, well, you might be able to find some copies other places, but uh, yeah, it's it's out of print. If if you want it, you better start looking for it now. Um, let's think. I I wasn't gonna do a number, but now I will. Um, and <laughs> I'll give it a two out of three. Uh, branching quest uh, paths. Um, <laughs> there you go. That doesn't quite do it. Two and a half out of three, I suppose. Um, uh, in that, I echo Pavin's sentiment. It was, it, it was, it was good for what it was. Obviously, it was a little light, but I mean, it's not meant to be an exposition lore type uh, book. Um, my my problem with it is, is that it thematically it was really, really close to Catacombs. Like, yes, I understand it was a continuation of like the Catacombs story, but like at the end of the day, this is still very much digging, mining, 
uh, pulling up Veronite. The themes are very similar. Um, it, it's, it's, it seems like it's just Catacombs Part 2, uh, which is fine. Uh, but like Paven said, I, I agree with you completely. Um, I, I was hoping for a, a let's, let's zig, let's zag, let's, let's go to some new, new places or, or deal with new uh, concepts, um, which we'll, we'll get there. I'm sure the next one will or the, the one after that. So uh, I understand why the book is what it is. Um, but I still recommend it. And if it's the only one out there, I recommend Warcry. So uh, you got to do what you got to do. And the Sluices. Sluices? Sluices? I think those are cool as heck. Sluices. Sluices. Um, and that's all I have to say about that. Um, anything else you guys want to add before we close her out? No. Oh, no, thank you. Because here we go. It's time for our reforging. But Sigmar Willing will be back soon. Like, subscribe, share, or leave a review. Join us on Discord. Drop a tip on our Patreon. Anything you can do will spread the word of Sigmar farther than we can on our own. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter at The Mortal Realms. And Paven, where can they find you online? On the Discord channel. Best place. Um, and Josh, where can they find you online? Uh, in the Discord channel or at J.E. Arrington on Twitter. Awesome. And I'm Aaron. You can find me at DoseAsos on Twitter. And you can find all our Mortal Realms shows and content at www.themortalrealms.com. Calm. All right, welcome everybody. Here are some follow-up questions for Red Harvest that Paven and I will be addressing for you. We saved a bunch of questions from last time, and we're going to kick it off right now. We've got a couple questions from Paul, PCH Shard. Uh, is there too much terrain? Are any warbands likely to have issues moving in all the mining equipment? That's the first question he's got. And again, you know, we haven't really played on the setup yet, so it's hard to tell. Um, based on some of the information I've seen, uh, people do mention that there is quite a bit of terrain and that you can actually create choke points. So I think that'll be an interesting mechanic that you didn't necessarily have the opportunity to do on terrain or on other portions of terrain. I think catacombs, you could occasionally create choke points because you had hallways and doors and that sort of thing. But with the height advantage here, and, and, and certain abilities for choke points, I think that it could be interesting. I don't think there'll be problems moving around, though. Any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, uh, I think... So one of the things... Uh, and so there's two changes here. One is, like, uh, there is more kind of height in terrain for Red Harvest than for original Warcry, and so mm. that automatically privileges both high movement and flight. Uh, things where that were already very strong. Uh, one thing I've heard, and I haven't looked at all the cards yet, but the average game turn I think is longer than Vanilla Warcry. Um, and so what we saw in Catacombs is when games were longer, the movement advantage was less important because everybody was still mixing it up. Um, so I, I, I suspect that's been balanced better. But uh, without, you know, I won't know until we've gotten like 10 or so games under the belt to really feel it yeah. out. Like how are, although I, I suspect like movement three war bands are still going to be, it's still going to be a little bit harder. They're gonna, still going to be, well, maybe not struggle, but like that's still going to be a, a disadvantage. Yep. I agree. Yeah. What I'd kind of heard is that most of this, the scenarios in, in standard war cry are three, sometimes four turns uh, catacombs. They were five. And in this mm -hmm. one, they tend to be average four turns. So it's kind of in between. So I think mm -hmm. you're right. It'll be interesting to see that, you know, we've got a little extra time for some war bands um, but not not as much as five, and I think catacombs is a lot harder for certain warbands because it's all one level, and there are, I think there are probably more choke points, more ways to 
stop people from getting certain places where with all this hype, you know, especially with, you know, the uh, Tarantulas Brood or Cypher Lords where they have abilities that let them fly, you know, you could get way up on top of that terrain really quickly and then use it to slow people down. So it, it should certainly be very interesting for very mobile warbands. Paul's second question is, in Warcry events, will there be a different meta based on which terrain set is used? And he did kind of clarify this question a little bit for us on the Discord. I think it's an interesting question. Uh, I think it comes down to, you know, does the terrain on the board affect how the game will go? Definitely. Uh, you know, Catacombs game is very different from a standard game. And, you know, this one potentially could be quite different with the interactive machinery, but we haven't played it yet, so we can't really weigh in on that very much yet. Did you have any particular thoughts on that? Oh, boy, we're not that. We're certainly not the meta review show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't trying to think are there any like war bands that like did way better in catacombs than above ground yeah and i think it really depends know. on what the missions are too i mean if there's you know if it's a mission where oh i'm gonna put the objective on the tallest object on the table yeah that's gonna certainly prefer certain war bands have a, a distinct advantage in that type of quest but if it's you've got to get these four objectives and i've got five choke points you got to get through me that's a different scenario. So I, it certainly depends, I think, on the scenario and the deployment. So until we play some of these games, it's really hard to vet that yeah. very well. Yeah, I mean, we have a very narrative league, so it's hard to get hard competitive data points from it, or at least in my experience. Yeah, I, my, I would guess that Catacombs favors more melee warbands because yep. there's more there's more line of sight blocking things. The games are longer. Um Reinforcements uh, are different. Yeah, yeah, reinforcements are different. You can like pop right on top of guys. And so like you're right. not necessarily going to get blown off the table like you can sometimes in like above ground war cry. Um, so I could see that affecting things. Yeah, I yeah, don't. I yeah, I mean, yeah, there were there were times in original vanilla war cry where sometimes it would just like not go your way or like your, you know, your hammer would come on turn three and the game would be over and nobody would be able to participate. Um, yeah. But I think I think the strong like strong warbands are still strong. Yeah, I don't know. I I'm really outside of my wheelhouse answering these competitive questions. Like, oh, they all look fun. I don't. I would take whatever I wanted to play, no matter what the terrain rules. Like, whatever, whatever I'm feeling cool about and thematic about, that's what I'm yeah. afraid. Mm -hmm. I agree. All right. Our next question is from PM Zeke Price. Can you give an overview of the branching quests, which we did in this podcast? So we won't go into detail for those. What are your opinions on this new quest type? Do they add anything to the game that faded quests or challenge battles didn't already address? What do you think? Mm. I well, I think they're they're definitely a cool like uh, I really like that they're in there and that it's cool to make choices. Yeah, I don't know what the like personal if it makes the quest feel more your own if you're making choices. I imagine it does. I want to play through one, um, mm -hmm. and I think that's cool. I don't think they blow anything wide open. Because um, you were still filling in a lot of the details yourself with any of those quests, like what warbands you were fighting, like why your warband was doing one thing or the other. But I do, uh, yeah, I do really enjoy like the kind of choose your own adventure aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my thoughts too. Yeah, I, I think they don't necessarily add anything in terms of like the quest rewards or anything else that we didn't already have. But I think it's another narrative way to play the game. Instead of just faded quests, which give you two choices at the end, challenge battles, which are unique, you know, specific scenarios, 
to that you have to do a risk reward because you put up territories and other things to, to to do those challenge battles and you get a unique reward. Uh, I think these branching quests are just a unique way to, as Payment said, choose your own adventure. You get multiple paths, multiple outcomes, so you can even you know replay the same branching quest and choose a different path to see what happens. You know that's kind of cool. I think. Yeah, if I was gonna like, what would like. What would really change the game up? And I don't have a solution for this, but like they've gotten really good at like you can do your narrative thing without like the you're not, without like the your opponent being on board. Like you mm-hmm. can do narrative war cry without without your opponent being that interested in your narrative or you know whatever. It's just like built into like what just playing a game like moves you along your quest. Um, and similar to Path of Glory and Age of Sigmar. What I think the next level is like, how do you make it easy to do like collaborative storytelling within a game of Warhammer? Like, how do you like make like put the set pieces there that makes it really easy for two people maybe that don't even that are strangers to tell a story together with a game? Um, <laughs> I don't think this that's what this does. It's still like you know you're telling your own story with your own lore band with your own choices. But I think that would be the next level. That would be yeah. cool. Yeah, that would be cool. All right. Uh, Darth Alex has got several questions for us. Uh, mm-hmm. His first question is, how cool is interactive scenery? Can we expect more like this? And just to kind of give an overview for people who are unfamiliar, the scenery and the terrain in Red Harvest, is, it mainly comes down to there's a pit dredger and a Varanite siphon. And they're active machines, so you can turn them on with a double, you can turn them off with a triple. And there are certain machine components that can be dangerous if you suffer a critical hit around them. You might take additional 2d6 damage if you roll a 1, kind of like a, a fall damage sort of thing. But, but otherwise, uh, essentially they turn on the, del- the, the sluices, and the sluices have Varanite. And if you're on a sluice or, or land on a sluice, then, then you can take additional damage. So the, the main, um, I guess, uh, benefits of this interactive scenery is you can turn it on, turn it off, to potentially affect the other person's warband if they're near the sluices and, and cause additional damage. And, uh, you know, I think it's the first we've kind of uh, seen where you use a double or a triple to turn on and off things. We did have, in Catacombs, we have a lot of terrain that was interactive, you know, that had certain effects in the game. But, um, you know, I didn't know if you had any particular thoughts on this new type of terrain, Perryman? Yeah, it's definitely cool. Um, I want to see more of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm on board. It, yeah, it's very um, uh, cinematic, uh, like kind of turning on the, the lava chute and having it burn a bunch of people like all down it. I think that's really cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, it's it's definitely a new design space. Um, that was explored a little bit in Catacombs. I think the only thing you could truly like, I guess you could break open the doors and you could open the doors with levers. Those are the only right. thing terrain pieces that you could like take action upon. Everything else was right. like a buff or a debuff within a range. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. This kind of reminds me of some of those like Indiana Jones movies where he's, you know, going to a machine and you got to turn it off or some of those James Bond or other action adventure movies where there's, you know, somebody's going to get ground up into pieces and turn the machine on and turn it off. <laughs> this is kind of what it yeah. reminds me of. <laughs> yeah, I wish there was like even more of it. Like, I want to get to a version of Warcry that's like super wacky, where there's like a ton of like buzz saws and torture devices <laughs> and like stones falling down hallways, and it's just like you're playing in a game of mousetrap uh, well, with all your guys. I think that could be well, pretty fun. You know, I don't know yeah. if you remember, but there were some some guys, you know, in Wisconsin who were thinking of making a Running Man type Warcry game, 
And that would have what you're looking for, sir. So I'll have yeah. to bug them about that. See if they can get that going for us. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Hold an event. Right. Um, Darth Alec has another question. Are there any lore hints in the new box, new hooks? And I think we covered some of this in the podcast already. And I didn't really see anything that would suggest new Warcrite content in particular. I mean, we, we interact with some more Chaos Dwarves. Um, and, and there's some nice windows into what, you know, death and order and, and destruction are all doing in the eight points now that they all have kind of footholds. But I didn't see any other hooks. How about you, Paven? Yeah, we don't we don't we don't know the next war band to come out. Um, we don't have any hints on them or like I can't even I don't even know what the next like model would be. Like there's no obvious right. obvious yeah, thing. Besides, surprise. The, you know, war, Age of Sigmar and Warcry has mentioned uh, Chaos Duradin um, with more and more frequency. So they're coming in some fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, Skaven got mentioned more in this book than I think in previous books. True. Um, yeah. So, you know, they are uh, such a natural fit in into Warcry, and they are, cur- excuse me, currently without representation in uh, any miniature release. So, those guys for sure. Um, but yeah, otherwise, but there's not like sometimes it's like, oh, obviously the next thing is going to be this um, coming out of some publications, but that is not what we got out of this book. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And then his last question is, will the annual big box be the model release going forward? And, you know, I guess, you know, we've gotten it three times now, you know, once a year. So, I mean, that's definitely a good pattern. And I wouldn't mind if they kept it up. <laughs> what, do, what do you think? Um, I mean, it's the pattern until it's not the pattern. Uh, right. You know, Games Workshop tends not to, like, do the same pattern for too long. So who knows? Who knows? I would like to see more smaller I, I like you know i like small stuff sometimes i like individual warband releases i like the, like the monsters they released are really were really cool the monsters and allies um so maybe maybe i don't know my guess yeah. okay sorry if you gotta put me my guess is we won't see another i don't know my guess is like we won't see another box until a new version of the rules which maybe will be in two years or one mm-hmm. year i don't know yeah that'd be my guess but i think we'll see other stuff on the way yeah, I, I think so, too. I, you know, I definitely think, you know, they've been revealing stuff through War, you know, for the White Dwarf, you know, for Warcry, and they've been doing these free articles on the website. So they've been giving us content throughout the year, and I, and I hope they continue to do that. Like you said, it kind of keeps things exciting and moving forward and, you know, giving us rules for new models. And now it sounds like Bladeborne is, is hitting the market, which will add some rules for some of those Underworlds war bands. So that'll be nice. So, you know, as long as they keep doing that, I think we can keep the game alive. And then, you know, having these nice big boxes where they introduce some new sets of rules and new warbands. I think it's, a, you know, a good kind of kickoff every year as we kind of keep going through this. Definitely. And then our uh, last question is from Tough Ghost. Do the new victory conditions still favor chaff-heavy warbands? What are your thoughts on the focus of four rounds instead of three or five? Just to preface it, Paven and I have not yet played the the new scenarios or terrain uh, outlines in Red Harvest. Eventually, we will get there. Um, but did you have any initial thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think it's probably a good balance. I think Catacombs games could sometimes go long. Uh, three, I kind of want them to figure out how to make three work. So it's not, maybe the reinforcements need to come on on turn two or something. Because sometimes on, like with the three round, like, ha- like a third of your warband doesn't get to participate. Uh, especially mm-hmm. if they're slower. 
but I really enjoyed like the 20 minute game of Warcry, where it's just like set up, make some moves, kill some guys, and then it's over. And you can like almost immediately re-rack and get like two games in an hour easily. And I right, think there's something right. really cool about that. Like you could, you know, get a bunch of games in on a game night and like not be like gone even all evening. Um, so, uh, mm-hmm. but I think four is probably a pretty good sweet spot uh, for as the rules are now. But um, yeah, I'm starting to get a ton of ton of uh, uh, Red Harvest games. Have you assembled your Red Harvest terrain? Not yet. I just got my box actually, so um, I am going to be working on that. And I think uh, you know Eric and I had a terrain night plan this week coming up. So um, oh boy. Yeah, which I think he invited the rest of the Mortal Realms crew. So hopefully we will get together and I'll work on getting my terrain set put together this week. All right. What, uh, is that uh, going to be in person or remote? Um, yeah, no, that will be in person. And, um, he hasn't said, we haven't figured out a time and a place yet. So but okay. he, did, he did kind of post that in our, yeah. well, Mortal yeah, Rocks let me know. Today. I have a dread hold. I need to come finish. Yes. Uh, yes. It's, it's Thursday night. We don't know when and where yet, but it's Thursday. Okay. Night. Sounds great. Awesome. And that's, uh, yeah, no, I'll just kind of follow up with Paven said there. I think the four turns is going to be nice. Uh, you know, I definitely think three turns was a little, could be a little difficult in some scenarios and some deployments, but uh, but often work kind of well. Um, you know, with this, especially with the standard Warcry games where you had a little bit more open space, but you had some terrain. Uh, five turns was definitely a little trickier in catacombs, especially. But you need sometimes you need the extra time to get through those doors that were locked and other sorts of things. And so four will be be interesting to try out. I think it'll uh, certainly be fun to try the new scenarios and the new terrain and see how it all plays out. Uh, well, that's that's all we've got. But uh, thank you for listening again, and we hope you enjoyed the Red Harvest lore and uh, our follow-up questions. It's time to put a muzzle on this episode. If it was a good dog, support the show with a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast. Share it with friends. Join us for hobby discussions at themortalrealms.com backslash discord, or leave a tip at themortalrealms.com backslash Patreon. More content is available at themortalrealms.com and on Twitter at Dogs of Warcry.